Hello and welcome back to the Cutting Edge Lecture Series. Uh, if you don't know me, I am Laura Mann. I'm an associate professor in the department and I'm the co-organizer of this series with James. Uh, this is a lecture that's very much sort of within the theme of the Cutting Edge Lecture Series. We're talking about all the kinds of crises that are going on within the global economy today and how they affect the developmental challenge facing low and middle income countries. Um, and when I was kind of writing down the crises, I, it kind of got a little bit depressing by the end of it. But luckily, we have a kind of superman of development studies to help us confront these challenges. <laughs> so some of the challenges are the long-term impacts of COVID, also the response of, to COVID in high-income countries, raising the interest rates, creating all sorts of financial problems in low- and middle-income countries, the impact of COVID and the growing tensions between China and the US in terms of trade flows, and the, uh, the emphasis on kind of reshoring and building more resilient supply chains, the economic slowdown in China and the impact that that will have on developing countries, the growing salience of industrial policies in high-income countries, technological shifts happen, happening within production, things like automation and AI, the Russian invasion, and the impact that that has had on the world's economy in terms of food and energy security, and this growing geopolitical alignment, refugee crisis, and of course the climate crisis, and the kind of new emphasis now on green industrialization and the way that various countries are trying to seek out new supply chains and new markets for the kind of next wave of industrialization. So in order to help us kind of confront these challenges, we have the perfect speaker. We have uh, Professor Hachun Chang, who is currently a professor of economics at Cambridge. He's no, also, no, oh, sorry, that's so right. He escaped, sorry, sorry. that's right, yeah. You were 32 years at that's Cambridge. Right, 32 and years last year uh, joined SOAS, where he's also the co-director of the Center for Sustainable Structural Transformation. Uh, he's the author of countless books. I think some of you have probably already read them. Many of them you will read this year, including Kicking Away the Ladder, Developmental Strategy and Historical Perspective, The East Asian Development Experience, The Miracle Crisis and the Future, um, 23 Things They Don't Tell You About Capitalism, Economics, The User's Guide, and your most recent book, which I think James might have a copy, Edible Economics. Uh, and also a lot of policy documents. He, he helped write the 2016 UNICA report, Transformation, Transformative Industrial Policy for Africa, which I use in my teaching. So really, you know, somebody who's able to talk about all of these different crises. I hope I'm not putting you in the hot seat. Uh, and, and getting you guys as students to think about how development sits in this very dynamic picture that we're in right now. We also have our own Professor James Putzel with us today. As you know, he is the program director for the Development Studies degree at LSE. He's an expert in the comparative politics of development in Southeast and East Asia. He's worked on lots of different topics, including agrarian change in the Philippines. He's done a lot of work on political settlement theory in relation to conflict and post-conflict environments, and so many other things that we really are in for a special treat tonight. Uh, so please, we're going to take an hour, an hour and ten minutes for discussions, and then we're going to open up for questions. I'd encourage you guys to write down your questions and be ready. I've noticed that the people who ask at the beginning 
You know, fortune favors the brave. So don't wait until the end to put up your hand. I'm going to be a bit strict in allowing everybody just to ask one question, to try to, to think of your best question for them. But without further ado, can you take us away, James? Okay. It really is a pleasure, Arjun, as always, to have you here at the school. And at least the students on my, in my course have been reading you already this oh, year. <laughs> so I wanted to kick this off. And this is a, kind of an informal way to do this thing tonight. So uh, let's see how we go. I want to kick this off uh, mentioning that the, both the World Bank and the IMF are having their annual meeting in, in, in um, Morocco, I think yeah, it is, yeah. next week. Yeah, And I'm wondering if this is happening at a particular in inflection point in the global economy. We, we have this huge financing gap facing uh, especially the, the low-income, uh, 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 the least developed countries. And in terms of the SDGs, that have been the Sustainable Development Goals, yeah. there seems to be um, a, a thought that this, is all, this gap, which is growing bigger now, all the time is going to be filled by the private sector and mm -hmm. uh, mobilizing private investment. So I'm just wondering whether you think that the existing prescription for filling the financing uh, gap facing developing countries is, is adequate uh, give, given what's going on yeah. in the international economy. Uh, no, I think uh, two talk about that we need to you know, obviously talk about the challenges that developing countries are facing and, and uh, more broadly the world economy because yes, I mean that there are the usual problems of uh, meeting the sustainable the, the development goals and you know, poverty, the, the inequality, you know, industrialization, whatever. Uh, that have been uh, set in front of us, but uh, now we have these uh, added challenges of climate crisis, which is really reaching uh, the point of uh, no return. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about climate crisis uh, in uh, uh, greater depth uh, later. And the shocks uh, from the pandemic, yeah. uh, from which uh, many developing countries haven't really recovered and on top of that uh, the uh, kind of problems that are arising from the failure to adequately address uh, the, the problems of the global financial system that was so blatantly revealed uh, in the 2008 financial crisis because uh, what people don't seem to the, 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 talk about uh, so much uh, is uh, that you know, that crisis, you know, it hasn't been resolved. Yeah? You know, we have, uh, I mean, uh, until a few years ago, that, 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 that before the inflation started, we had uh, lived in a world which was uh, financially and macroeconomically so screwed up that for over a decade, there was no effective capital market. Yeah? You know, we got so used to zero interest rate. Yeah? 
But when you think about it, this is like almost abolishing capitalism. Yeah? Because that, that the capital market has been basically suspended. Yeah? There's no real price in the capital market. Yeah? And why did they have to do that? Because uh, they didn't want to clean up uh, the consequences of uh, the, the global financial crisis in the correct way. No, just that, 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 that put it into perspective. After the, the 1929, the Wall Street, Wall Street crash, yeah? I mean, a lot of changes were made, I mean, especially in the US. Yeah? I mean, they, they, they introduced a regulation on the, the stock market uh, and bond market through setting up a security, uh, <coughs> sorry. <coughs> Securities and Exchange Commission, they introduced a Glass-Steagall the, the Act uh, that separated uh, the commercial banking sector and the investment banking sector. Of course, uh, Bill Clinton uh, the, the abolished that, yeah? and that was one important reason behind this uh, the 2008 financial crisis. Yeah? They introduced uh, the, the Welfare State uh, through Social Security Act. Uh, they strengthened the trade union power through Wagner Act. Yeah? or Wagner, I guess, that the Americans would say. Yeah? They uh, set up the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and uh, introduced uh, the, the deposit insurance uh, to stabilize the banking system. Now, there were so many institutional reforms that are uh, under recognition that uh, are unsupervised, yeah? uh, that the crooked financial system destroyed the economy. Yeah? What have we done after the 2008 financial crisis? Yeah? They raised the capital adequacy requirement for banks a bit. Yeah? That was it. Yeah? And they didn't even that, that make uh, people take responsibility. Yeah? You know, can you imagine the, if you like, uh, the pharmacological the equivalent of 2008 financial crisis uh, happening and no one even losing their job, yeah? not to speak of but, uh, going to prison. Yeah? But this is what happened effectively. Yeah? I mean, all these uh, Nobel Prize winners, yeah? professors of finance, yeah? the central bank uh, regulators, you know, they said that uh, this is uh, that, uh, going to be a good thing you know, that, to re deregulate, to that, that, that allow all these exotic financial instruments, yeah? open up uh, uh, capital markets in developing countries. And when that happened, do you know any banker in the, the, the US and the UK who went to prison? No. I mean, they picked out a couple of guys, uh, this uh, poor uh, the, the trader in the, the some, uh, the, the, what was it, Credit Suisse? Yeah? And uh, the, this guy, the Epstein, yeah? picked out a couple of uh, the, the crooks and said that uh, these guys are responsible. Yeah? No, if uh, the, some uh, you know, the pharmacology professor said, yeah, this uh, the, the drug is uh, going to cure, yeah? I don't know, malaria or the, 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 the cancer or whatever. And if uh, the, that guy was backed by you know, corporate money, the World Bank and yeah, everyone, and then the, this uh, the drug ended up killing yeah, thousands of people, you know, this guy would have at least uh, been deprived of uh, his Nobel Prize. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. In 1997, these two uh, economists, Black and Scholz, uh, they got Nobel Prize for their contribution to the theory of asset pricing. Yeah? 
two years later, when there was that, that this massive uh, financial crisis in Russia, it turned out that, that these two guys were not just advising, they were partners of this uh, uh, the, the hedge fund called long-term capital management. Yeah? And you know, they were not even deprived of their Nobel Prize. Yeah? Can you believe it? Yeah? So, that <laughs> so let me follow up on this, um, you know, on this legacy of mm -hmm. the crisis. Um, you know, and even Stanley Fisher, who used to be the head of the IMF mm -hmm. about six years ago or so, was astounded how quickly the very meager reforms of the international banking system were, were being unraveled exactly, already. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't hear that kind of criticism from That's Stanley right. Fisher. Yeah, but I want yeah. to ask you, you know, now we, we see more and more uh, sub-Saharan African countries, especially the poorest ones, facing a new debt crisis, yep. a debt crisis that makes us think about the 1970s mm -hmm. and, and early 1980s. And I'm wondering if you can explain how that's linked with the financial crisis. Yeah, so the, the how this is uh, linked is, uh, the, you know, the, because uh, they didn't want to make any institutional reform, they first uh, the, tried to the, save the, the financial system by lowering interest rate uh, to zero. You know, unprecedented, yeah? the, the Bank of England I mean, it became a, a true central bank only in the 1840s, but uh, it was set up in the 1680s, 1690s, I think. Yeah? So they have a record of its uh, interest rate uh, for the last uh, 350 years. Interest rate was uh, never lower, lower than this. Yeah? And it was uh, zero, not just for, I don't know, three months of crisis. Yeah? It was uh, zero for like over 10 years. Yeah? So the, the system was that, the, 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 uh, sorry, the, they tried to save the system by cutting interest rate. Even that was not enough. So they invented this thing called the quantitative easing, yeah? which was flooding the money with the system, uh, the flooding the system with the money, but only channeling it uh, through these banks, yeah? which then didn't channel it to the real economy. Yeah? So they sat on these assets or the, the lent it uh, to you know, the, the best uh, customers at, uh, from their point of view. And I uh, still remember when I first uh, came to this country in the 80s as a graduate student, a retired British banker said that the secret of uh, British banking uh, success is that you never lend money to people who need it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that, that you that, uh, lend money to these uh, funds and the, the, the hyper-wealthy individuals, what do they do? They invest in assets, yeah? And then you create a huge asset inflation. You know, the absurdity of this uh, was uh, seen during the pandemic. During the pandemic in the UK, in the US, the economy was uh, the, the tanking at the rate of about 10% per year. Yeah? During those months, the American and especially British stock market was uh, the breaking record, like, every week. Yeah? How this is possible? Yeah? Now that the financial the, the economy is completely kind of uh, disjointed that, that, that from uh, the, the, the real economy. So that you know, money was uh, the, the floating around the, to that absurd extent. And then developing countries, yeah, when they faced uh, various uh, crises, you know, first uh, from 
the malfunctioning the global economy that uh, came with uh, the, the financial crisis and then the ending of uh, super growth in China, which uh, reduced uh, their earnings, uh, export earnings from uh, the commodity boom, yeah? and then the, the, the pandemic. Yeah? And what do they do? I mean, they want money, but then you know, the, the global, the, 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 sorry, multilateral financial institutions say, no, we encourage you to borrow from the, the, the private sector. Yeah? So they flo the, 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 uh, the issue bonds uh, the, the in dollars, yeah? And yeah, I mean, the, for a while it the, the, the looked okay because interest rate was zero at the core. Of course, that when you are a peripheral country, you will have to pay quite a bit more than the zero, but still, I mean, it was a lot lower than what they were used to. But uh, now interest rate uh, has been going up uh, with uh, the, yeah? Uh, inflationary pressure, you know, the coming from the pandemic and uh, the resulting destruction of uh, supply chains, uh, the, the war in Ukraine, and so on. Now that, that these countries are finding it that, that, that impossible to that repay the, the, the debt. Yeah? So now we are in for a very, very the, the difficult time. And yeah, now that they are also told that you need to you know, the make energy transition and uh, you know, the, do all kinds of things. How are they going to do it uh, with, uh, in this kind of situation? It's a mystery. Yeah? So, you know, Laura was going through the whole list of mm -mm. crises that we're facing in the global economy. And you know, what, what strikes me is that the, the, the pandemic that erupted, on top of the continuing mounting evidence of you know, the impact of climate change, is raising rather fundamental questions about the structure of the global yeah. economy. So we have very long value chains, right? The supply That's chains true. are very long. There's been a concentration of corporate power, you know, such that I think UNCTAD came out with a report last week that, that, that just four companies control 70% of the trade in grain, mm -mm. you know? Um, and we see, we saw during the pandemic the, how impactful um, uh, the pandemic was on incomes because so many people in so many countries have become almost entirely dependent on low-paid service sector right, work, yeah. right? So, so they're out of work and had no income. And in fact, the, the approach to poverty reduction that guides a lot of our international development agencies and the bilateral development agencies has been such that they just lifted people beyond the threshold of poverty. So when the <coughs> pandemic erupted, you had millions of people thrown back into yep. poverty. So this is a big question. I'm asking you, you know, so what, what is the possible direction of change that's indicated by that? It suggests that the way the global economy is organized now with its long supply chains, et cetera, and the concentration of power within it is, you know, Terribly dysfunctional. I mean, we'll go. We can talk more yeah, about I mean, climate uh, later. Yeah, that worked uh, well. At least uh, seemed to work fine when uh, everything was uh, the running smoothly. Yeah? I mean, the China was booming, uh, sucking in the imports, uh, the churning out the, the all kinds of things at almost every node of uh, the, the, the supply chain. The, probably except at the top except in a few industries, yeah? And yeah, the, there were no kind of major 
war or the, or the disruption the happening. And yeah, I mean, the, the, you, you the develop this uh, the system of uh, supply, which is uh, based on the assumption that everything will look, uh, work like a clockwork, yeah? the so-called just-in-time management system invented by the Japanese in the uh, 1970s and 80s. But yeah, the problem is that uh, this uh, the system is very, very efficient, but uh, it has uh, so many links which could be broken. It's so complicated that the one thing gets uh, disrupted and uh, the whole thing uh, that, uh, goes out of sync. Uh, but uh, you know, this is not simply about concentration of power in the biggest uh, global companies, although I mean that is uh, the most important aspect. Uh, but you know, there are a lot of companies producing these very specialized producer goods, you know, the, the machine parts, industrial chemicals, and so on, that have huge market share. Yeah? So that uh, back in, was, when was it, 2011 or something like that, when there was this uh, massive earthquake in the, the Japan, the Fukushima, apparently one relatively small the, by the standard of, you yeah, uh, the, 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 you know, Shell and, you know, the, the General Motors and so on, a relatively small chemical company had its uh, factory destroyed, but it turned out that this company was supplying something like 70% of world output of this uh, very specialized chemical that you need to use uh, in kind of uh, fitting these uh, microchips into mobile phones, yeah? And yeah, I mean, when that happened, the, 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 the production of these chips and the, the, the mobile phones uh, got uh, disrupted by month, yeah? So every time when you specialize, yeah? I mean, you uh, gain by you know that uh, raising efficiency, but uh, that efficiency is we are only belatedly realizing uh, both at the cost of this uh, fragility. Yeah? So how do you make uh, this uh, the more the, the, uh, resilient, as uh, they say? But for developing countries, the problem is that uh, even more complicated because that, that uh, they need to find a way to kind of. Uh, upgrade within the value chain, yeah? Yeah. I mean, whether it's that, that through more independent route uh, or that, 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 by it, uh, being fully that, 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 that buying into the, the global supply chain system, they need to do that because, that, that, you know, that, that especially with the concentration of power at the top, the developing countries at the end of supply chain, they are getting crumbs, yeah? I mean, the best example is the Philippines, yeah? If you go to the World Bank website, you will find this uh, the, the data which uh, shows uh, the share of high-tech product in total manufacturing uh, export, yeah? And by that standard, the Philippines is uh, the most high-tech economy in the world, yeah? That ratio is like 65%, yeah? South Korea, 35%, the US, uh, 25%, yeah? Singapore, 30%, or something like that, or is it 40, yeah? But despite that, uh, the Philippines has only $3,500 per capita income because what they do is uh, 
the euphemistically known as a screwdriver operation. Yeah? I don't uh, know whether they even use a screwdriver. <laughs> it might be just the fingers, you know. So that, that, you know, it's one thing to be plugged into this uh, global supply chain, but for developing countries, uh, they need to find a way to upgrade within the chain. Yeah? It can be done, you know, when uh, South Korea and Taiwan first uh, started uh, joining these uh, global value chains in the 1960s, you know, they are doing the lowest of the lowest. Yeah? So, that, 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 for example, LG, the Korean company, which is uh, like uh, the king of uh, display market uh, these days, it started out as uh, uh, the lowest uh, grade uh, assembler for, of uh, TV for the American company RCA. Yeah? But then the South Korean uh, government uh, the, had this uh, industrial policy which uh, pushed and helped uh, the, the LG and other companies upgrade uh, to the top of the value chain. And when RCA went bankrupt in like 2012 or something, uh, LG bought uh, a huge chunk of it. Yeah, it's like I don't know the, the poorest uh, campesino that uh, in uh, Latin America, Latifundia, that are uh, coming back to buy up the land. Yeah, so you can uh, do these things, but uh, you know it uh, requires a very determined, yeah, long-term effort so, and investment. Yeah? So the Phil Philippines has 80 uh, percent of the content of its electronics exports are important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that really underlines how, how, how little is actually being created. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you've written a lot about industrial policy. And you, you, if, if countries are going to upgrade in the global value chains, clearly they, they, they need to articulate an industrial policy, unlike the Philippines. I mean, every country has an industrial yeah, policy, sure. but the industrial policy was just to assemble yeah. electronics, right, right, in the Philippines. So, but what I'm wondering, you know, for many years, obviously with the neoliberal mm -hmm. formulas, starting with Thatcher and Reagan yeah. uh, and those reforms, one couldn't talk about industrial no. policy. And you've commented now uh, in recent years how, it, once again, we can put it on the table mm -hmm. and have have a discussion about it. Um, I'm wondering if you think that um, the arrival of Biden in the White House and the legislation that he's taken, you know, kind of historically passed legislation uh, around green industrial policy, um, it's clearly the articulation of a fairly long-term and, you know, really highly financed industrial mm -hmm. policy. So is it a game changer in terms of the international debate now, uh, in terms of countries and de developing countries being able again to talk about an industrial mm. policy to meet these challenges in these global value chains? Yeah, so yeah. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, no, industrial policy, I, uh, you know, started out as a career economist at uh, the working on industrial policy. My PhD was uh, on industrial policy. It was published as a book called The Political Economy of Industrial Policy in 1994. So I've been uh, that, uh, doing research on it for yeah over uh, three decades. But you know, until probably about uh, 2010, you know, I mean, the, the, if you told people that you are working on industrial policy, they the, the look at you like uh, you are crazy. Yeah? And yeah, 
even the Justin Lin, the, the, the former chief economist of the World Bank, who's a, you know, a very mainstream you know, neoclassical economist, told me that when he was uh, the chief economist at the World Bank and uh, tried to promote some industrial policy, you know, the kind of industrial policy he suggests is uh, very mild, you know. I mean, he was uh, the, met with such resistance. I mean, the, when I, I mean, the, met him in a conference, I mean, I know him at, at the personal level a bit, and he confessed uh, probably 90% of the, the economists who work under him actually are against the industrial policy. Huh? And he said that it was bloody hard uh, to even make people talk about it because they think that uh, this is a non-subject. Yeah? Now, of course, uh, that was uh, at the level of uh, the, the electric and intellectual debate because uh, industrial policy never had disappeared. Yeah? I mean, in my book, Kicking the Ladder, I uh, showed that uh, the, at least until the 70s, you know, most uh, of uh, today's rich countries used uh, very extensive uh, industrial policies. Yeah? I mean, the EU, yeah, the allegedly the abolished industrial policy, but they just uh, renamed it, yeah? policies for the, the regional the balance, yeah? thereby giving tons of money to the Spain and the, the, you know, the Portugal and the, the, the some of the Eastern European countries to develop the infrastructure, you know, the host that the foreign the, the investors, yeah? I mean, they and the Americans uh, the spent huge amount of money on the subsidizing uh, research and development. In the case of the US, I mean, the, they had arguably the biggest, uh, the, at least in financial terms, the arguably the biggest uh, industrial policy program in the world, yeah? Only that they called it defense policy, yeah? <laughs> yeah, so that, uh, you know, that, 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 Probably many of you have uh, heard that, you know, the kind of computer, internet, you know, the GPS, all these things were initially developed uh, as uh, the, a result of uh, the U.S. Uh, defense research policy. Very few people know this, but uh, even semiconductor was uh, initially almost entirely financed in its research uh, by the U.S. Navy. Yeah? Yeah, so they had that, 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 all these uh, electronics-related uh, industries that are being you know, massively the directly and indirectly subsidized uh, by these uh, the, the defense programs. I mean, the, they have uh, the, this uh, series of uh, the, the research institute called the National Institutes of Health. It's not just one place, but scattered all over the country doing research on uh, you know, biotechnology, you know, genetic engineering, you know, the, the, and other aspects of uh, health-related uh, uh, technologies. Yeah? I mean, uh, I think that uh, they found it uh, too embarrassing and uh, took it down from their website. But until the ten, about 10 years ago, you could go to the website of the American Pharmaceutical Industry Association and could uh, see that at least 30% uh, of uh, their, the, the, sorry, pharmaceutical research in the country was financed by the government. Yeah? So you had uh, all those policies. Of course, uh, the being hidden and so on, the, you know, the, the, uh, it was a bit un incoherent. Uh, so now the, the, they are trying to be more coherent. But 
you know, I mean, I wouldn't uh, be too sure because uh, the next year the orange man uh, could win again, yeah? Yes. <laughs> and then it's all out of the window, yeah? So, yeah, but uh, they, they, they are very serious about it, yeah? However, trouble is that uh, they are doing it to basically uh, the, the promote their own interests. Sure. And still, the developing countries are discouraged uh, from doing this. I mean, now, because of uh, the, the, the US and the EU becoming more explicit about industrial policy, the developing countries have a bit more kind of political space. Yeah? I mean, they can say, well, the, you keep uh, telling us not to do it, but uh, your Inflation Reduction Act, uh, the, it uh, violates uh, the local contents uh, requirement uh, the, the, the provision in the WTO, you know, EU's uh, CBAM, uh, Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism is a uh, hidden uh, tariff. Yeah? And so on, so that uh, they have a bit more space, but uh, in practice, that uh, you know, uh, these countries, that, that, that these uh, powerful countries, will just do what they want, and developing countries, when they uh, try to do it, uh, will be, you know, officially taken to the dispute settlement court of the WTO, but uh, bullied uh, by, you know, the yeah. So you think there's going to be a lot, a lot more reassertion of do what we say, not what we have done. Only now it's even what we're doing. <laughs> That's right, doing, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. developing countries have to just, uh, the, the, you know, do it uh, the themselves, yeah? yeah. Because, uh, you know, time is uh, running out. I mean, you know, if uh, developing countries do not take action, you know, the renewable energy will be the second oil, yeah? Well, you know, this is exactly what I wanted to move <laughs> our conversation on to now, and that's the climate crisis, because it's so profound. We see how, it, how in every sector, we talk about agriculture, we see the pollution, Absolutely. you know, the destruction of soils. Yeah. We talk about international trade, and we see the destruction of the seas. I mean, the seas being destroyed not only by all the plastics we're putting into them, but also this horrible, the worst kind of fuel, the most polluting fuel, is being used to ship things around That's the right, globe. Yeah. So we have we have new problems of the you know the scale of ice melting at the pol poles. We're we're really in deep yeah, trouble. Yeah. So in the face of that, and thinking about you know this need for developing countries to get on with it, and you know capture some of the manufacturing capacity, the capacity to establish a modern industry. Um, how are developing countries going to be able to catch up in the face of these, the pressures of climate change? Yeah, yeah. And they're being hit the hardest and the most Absolutely, immediately yeah, yeah, yeah. By, the, by the changing yeah. climate. Yeah. No, at one level, uh, this uh, I mean, nothing new about uh, this, yeah? I mean, all the time, the, the technologically more advanced countries, uh, you know, define the opportunities uh, for developing countries, yeah? You know, the, for example, the, the Peru had an economic boom called the Guano boom uh, in the 1830s, uh, the 40s, yeah? Which was uh, based on them uh, the, the country that the digging all this uh, the accumulated uh, bird guano uh, and 
exporting it as uh, the very highly priced uh, fertilizer to Europe. Yeah? But, well, first of all, that they overexploited it, and uh, after about 30 years, uh, they began to run out of the stuff. But, you know, the, the few decades later, a fatal blow was uh, dealt to them because uh, the Germans invented the technology to fix uh, nitrogen from the air uh, using electricity, yeah? the famous uh, Haber-Bosch uh, process. And that was uh, the end of uh, Peru's, yeah? Uh, the, the, the economic boom, yeah? And yeah, so that, uh, basically the, the rich countries uh, define even what is a resource, yeah? You know, I mean, uh, you've heard of uh, this uh, the coal town, yeah? Which is uh, dug out uh, the, by yeah, the, the warlords in the Democratic uh, Republic of Congo because it's uh, the, a crucial metal in the, the, the microchips that, the, the, for mobile phones, you know. I mean, the, before the, the mobile phones, uh, coltan was, I mean, yeah, it was a mineral, but the, the, it wasn't that valuable, you know. So the, the, we are going to see, well, we are already seeing it uh, in this uh, uh, ecological transition. I, I say ecology, not just climate, because as uh, James said, it's not just climate, you know? we are in a comprehensive uh, ecological crisis, yeah? But, you know, recently Germans have in invested a lot uh, the, in Namibia, their former colony, which then was uh, the, the, taken by South Africa as a colony after the First World War. Anyway, so the, the, they apparently have built huge uh, the solar farms uh, in Namibia, with which uh, they are planning to produce uh, green hydrogen, yeah? so they are going to generate energy, the, the, the green energy the, from uh, the uh, solar panels, uh, use it to make uh, this uh, hydrogen fuel, which uh, they'll ship back to Germany, maybe sell a bit uh, to the Koreans. Yeah? What is the difference between that and Shell going to Nigeria and pumping oil out and shipping it back to Europe? Yeah? You know, if you are not careful, that these that, that, that renewable resources are going to become the second oil. Yeah, it will leave nothing, well, virtually nothing, in the country where it is uh, produced. Yeah, and yeah, the developing countries uh, need to. I mean, it's a huge uh, challenge, but uh, they need to make sure that uh, they get a slice of this action. Yeah. I mean, if uh, the, the, these uh, the, the guys are coming to exploit your energy, can you at least uh, the, the do a deal similar to what you do with uh, things like oil? Yeah? I mean, the, the give us 65% uh, of uh, the, the yeah? uh, revenue, yeah? and then use it uh, to develop yeah? higher value added activities where there is a processing of uh, that uh, particular minerals or the, 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 the some development of uh, some industries are using uh, the renewable energy that is uh, generated by you know German Chinese or Korean or whatever the, the, the solar farms and geothermal the, the power stations and yeah what have you because uh, if they don't do it, I mean, uh, we are going to repeat the same thing again and again and again. I mean, the, the developed uh, countries will define what is a resource. They identify the source, come uh, to you if you are lucky enough to have it. But then, yeah, 
they'll just uh, take it out, and then the, the maybe 10 years later, the, the, this uh, won't be resource anymore. Yeah? I mean, the, the, you know, the already uh, the, in the battery, you know, the, the market, you know, the Chile, Bolivia, Argentina, they are quite happy because they have a lot of lithium, yeah? But the Chinese are developing sodium batteries, yeah? Salt, yeah? So COP28 is coming up uh, next month in the UAE. So can we expect any movement on this? We had a promise for a very important fund to be established to allow this kind of technology transition in developing countries. But so far, it remains pretty, yeah. pretty empty. No, no, we have to keep at it. I mean, we have to ask for the climate reparation. We have to ask for loss and damage. We have to ask for uh, technology transfer. We have to ask for the more affordable financing. I mean, okay, I mean, uh, even if we did that, uh, the, we, the, what the developing countries get uh, won't be too, a lot. But if you don't ask for them, you are not going to even get them, yeah? Yeah, so, I mean, the... the, the Progress uh, on those fronts that uh, are infuriatingly slow, but it's actually a lot better than what it was, uh, say, you know, in 1992. Yeah? But I suppose yeah. we have to guard against, you know, going even further backwards. You know, you saw all this progress, and you've written about it, and your students have as well, or former <laughs> students. Ethiopia, and Ethiopia is really, you know, incredible, right. yeah. fast development progress being systematically dismantled now, exactly, yeah. um, you know, by not to mention the conflict and yeah. the war in Ethiopia. So, so the, the forces that be are not too welcoming. That's right, yeah. This. Yeah, no, Ethiopia the, between the mid-90s and mid-2010s was actually growing faster than China. Yeah? I mean, of course, it started from a very low base. Uh, so even then, it's a uh, per capita cost yeah. uh, barely $1,000, but you know, it is uh, doing uh, very, very well, but yeah, I mean, that, uh, with uh, the, the kind of, uh, ethnic conflicts and you know, the undermining of uh, these uh, more interventionist uh, regimes uh, by certain forces in and outside the country, now, yeah, I mean, that is, God knows, yeah, I mean. There's two more things I want to oh. ask you about before we let everybody else ask you questions. Um, and the, the first has to do with this, what, what seems now a, a huge geopolitical shift and a very antagonistic position coming up from the West, Western Europe, the United States towards China. Yeah. You know, and sanctions about you know, what, tech, yeah. what technologies can be exported to China, et cetera. Um, and I'm wondering, um, how profound do you think this mm the schism is, and how dangerous is it in relationship to global security? Yeah. Well, I have actually a slightly uh, different take on this uh, from other people. I mean, first of all, you know, I think uh, we always have to uh, take a historical uh, perspective in uh, thinking about this uh, huge uh, kind of uh, global forces. You know, we talk about you know, poly crisis. You know? I mean, we are told that we are living in a uniquely 
you know, crisis uh, within time. Yes, uh, the, in one sense we are because of the climate uh, challenge. Yeah, I mean that uh, has to be made clear. But other than that, are we necessarily in a more the crisis uh, within country than at, uh, other periods? Yeah, I mean go back to the seventies. I mean uh, say go back to the nineteen seventy-six. Yeah, I mean Saigon had uh, just uh, the fallen the, the two uh, communist forces in the North Vietnam. We had that that fourth fall increase in oil prices in the 1973 that uh, following the you know arab uh, israeli world that uh, the war you know the, the us uh, only like uh, four five years ago suspended the uh, gold convertibility of uh, us dollars because uh, it's uh, the economy was so weakened uh, compared to europe and china you know there was a huge uh, crisis. I mean, uh, in 1972, there was a Global Rome report uh, saying that uh, we are going to run out of oil that, uh, around, I don't know, that, uh, 1995. You know, that I still remember that uh, reading about that report. I mean, I was, uh, it was uh, too difficult for me because I was only like uh, that, that, uh, uh, 10, 11, but uh, you know. That, <laughs> Yeah, but the, the, the newspapers kept saying that uh, we are going to run out of oil in 1995, yeah? And I was thinking, gosh, that uh, I'm uh, not uh, even going to be uh, able to ride a car that, uh, that, uh, when I'm uh, 28, you know? Yeah, of course, that, that, uh, we have actually run out of the, uh, the oil, yeah? The oil that was extractable with the technologies of those days, yeah? So they were actually not wrong, yeah? Only that we have uh, found much more powerful ways of uh, extracting oil that, uh, you know, two kilometers below the seabed and all that stuff. So, you know, there's uh, that energy crisis, you know, that there's that uh, great worry about the global hunger, you know, the green revolution was uh, launched, but we are not sure whether it will actually you know, that, uh, produce enough food to feed people, you know. There were famines, yeah, the, 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 the Bangladesh, you know, the, the following the, the uh, war of secession uh, from Pakistan, you know, the world was uh, the, 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 in a huge crisis, you know? multiple crises, you know? and uh, I just uh, gave you the 1970s, but go to <laughs> the 80s and 90s, you know, okay, some decades of it more that, uh, grim than others, but that, uh, basically uh, that's how the world uh, moves, yeah? I'll so give you one last crisis no, to comment on. <laughs> yeah, but uh, this, uh, however, uh, I think uh, when it comes to China-U.S. Uh, the, the confrontation, I think it's uh, not really as serious as uh, people think. Yeah? Because, first of all, this is not the Second Cold War. Yeah? The Soviet bloc and the U.S. bloc during the, the, the Cold War, they didn't even trade with each other. Yeah? They could, uh, the, well, except uh, that the that uh, they couldn't do it with uh, nuclear bombs because uh, then everyone will die. They could uh, destroy the other and still be okay. Yeah? But the US and uh, China, they are like uh, conjoined twins. Yeah? <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah? So, yeah, the US median wage until a few years ago had been stagnant for four decades. Yeah? How did the U.S. That, uh, survive as a political entity? A, by that, 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 uh, encouraging people to that, pile on their debt, and B, by importing cheap uh, consumer goods from China. Yeah? 
if the U.S. Uh, that, that wants to that, that, that end this uh, trade relationship with China, there will be a huge uh, political crisis, yeah? because that, that, that people are not uh, go, uh, going to be able to survive uh, with the kind of uh, the, the wages uh, that they are getting. Yeah? China owns 13% uh, of U.S. Uh, treasury bills. Yeah? Can you kind of uh, <laughs> save a relationship with a country that uh, owns one-seventh of your the, the, the national debt? Yeah? No, this is impossibility. I mean, the, all the supply chains, okay, I mean, they talk about uh, you know, the reshoring, uh, friendshoring, and so on, but this is going to take at least a couple of decades, even with uh, concerted effort, to unwind that, that, that global supply chain that had been built over the last 40 years with uh, China at the center. Yeah? You know, okay, I mean, the, the Intel the built its uh, first the, the, the chip factory uh, in Asia, the outside China in 25 years in Malaysia, but uh, you know, these factories uh, last for 10 years, 15 years. I mean, it will take a couple of decades to divest the, 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 from uh, Chinese uh, the economy, even if it was uh, the, 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 the possible. Yeah? So the, in that kind of situation, I think uh, the con confrontation is actually currently only focused on the things with the military implications. Yeah, yeah there there is a conflict. Yeah? The U.S. is uh, not going to let this uh, military dominance uh, the, the, be the, the taken over by China, but at least in the next uh, couple of decades, it's only there where the, 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 it the can really the, the, the fight uh, China. Yeah? But at the same time, so it's not China who's been invading states and yeah, exactly. taking, yeah. taking yeah. down states. Yeah, yeah. It's not chi China has one foreign military base and... Um, yeah, if you're, uh, you know, as a good Korean, I'm uh, not a fan of China, not a fan of the U.S., yeah. not a fan of anyone, yeah? <laughs> because we've always been invaded and yeah. divided and chopped up and, yeah? yeah. Anyway, but, you know, yeah, even the, the, for a Korean, I mean, it uh, is obvious uh, if you're a Chinese person, you will feel threatened, yeah? You are basically surrounded by countries which have uh, American uh, army bases, yeah? American uh, aircraft carriers, yeah? I mean, that, that, so yeah, you are very right. I mean, that, that you need to that, that look at this uh, from both sides. But uh, also, that finally, on the, even the, the, this military chip uh, front, you know, I think uh, that, you know, the Americans uh, started this uh, too late. Yeah? If they wanted to uh, put that, uh, push China behind, that, they should have started at least 10 years ago, yeah? maybe uh, 15. Yeah? Now China's uh, closed. Yeah? I mean, recently Huawei that announced this new phone, which uh, that uses this uh, what is it, uh, seven nanomilliliter or whatever that, that chip yeah. uh, that, that, that people thought China cannot make. Yeah? So actually, the, by the, 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 the bearing down on the, these uh, military chips, that uh, the Americans might be actually encouraging China to catch up yeah? by making it necessary for them to do these things. Yeah? So I think that, uh, yeah, that this is uh, a lot more complicated than that, that what the newspapers that, uh, usually make out, yeah? Okay, I'm, I had a lot more questions to ask you, but I want the audience, audience to be able to do it. But before I turn it over to the audience, um, I have to ask you about this 
edible. Ah, yes. Edible economics. A hungry economist explains the world. I, um, I learned in this um, that you and I started graduate studies coming to the UK at the same time. That's right. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I was older than you yeah, yeah. by almost a decade, mm. I think. But <laughs> anyway, we started at the same time and we saw, you know, we, we arrived in a place that was a, a, a culinary disaster. I mean, there was, ever since everything had been drawn back during World War II, yep. never been restored. So, mm -mm. so we did see over these decades since then you know, this explosion of good food That's in, right. in the UK. It's expensive, yeah. yes, as the students know who just arrived in London. Still, but it's it, better than expensive bad food. It, yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, we saw this, you know, ec the, the recipe of economics, mm -hmm. as you put it, becoming more and more restricted for yeah. all these decades. So I just want to ask you, what prompted you to write this book? And perhaps you... You, you, you can tell everybody you know, why they might want to read it. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, the short answer to that question is, uh, you know, I like uh, economics, I like food, so why not? Yeah? <laughs> but uh, a longer and more serious uh, that, uh, answer is, you know, my view is that, uh, you know, capitalist economy, democracy is meaningless unless everyone understands at least some economics, yeah? Because every decision even though it may not look at that to be related to economics, is now made with reference to economic uh, the, the dimensions. Yeah? Whether it's uh, the preservation of cultural heritage or the teaching of Asian languages in universities. You know. I've even met uh, the, some British people who try to defend the monarchy in terms of the tourist revenue generates. Yeah? You know, I'm well, I'm not a UK citizen, so what I think about this uh, doesn't matter. Yeah, but as an anti-monarchist, I can do that. Yeah, I can say these guys uh, shouldn't exist, but at least they make money. Yeah, so let's uh, keep them. Yeah, but if you're a monarchist in in this country, the monarch is supposed to be the head of uh, the, the, the the state uh, religion, Church of England, and technically all. British uh, the subjects, yeah, are the, the members of uh, the, the Church of England, yeah, and you try to defend that kind of foundation institution in terms of the tourist revenue that it generates. <laughs> it's come to that, yeah. So in that kind of society, if you don't know economics, uh, you don't know what you are voting for, yeah. So that uh, I have been engaged in the kind of personal crusade, yeah, that. Uh, against uh, economic illiteracy. You know, I've uh, written many books uh, trying to draw in the, the, the ordinary citizens into the, the discussion of economics. But yeah, I mean, however hard I try, people find economics boring. Yeah? I think what I write is a bit more interesting than what uh, most other economists write, but uh, not massively. So I I have always wanted to write a book uh, that could draw people into economics uh, in a natural way. Yeah? So the, here, you know, every chapter starts with, well, it's titled after the food ingredient, you know, the, the 
chocolate, chili, acorn, you know, you didn't know, yeah, garlic, yeah, you didn't know that, that you could eat acorn, but uh, we eat a lot of acorn in Korea. Uh, and then I started uh, with some stories about that food item. It could be about this biology, it could be about this uh, the, the role in some historical event or my personal relationship with it, but uh, before you know it, it's uh, moved into an economic uh, story. And yeah, so it's uh, basically food uh, story is a bribe, yeah? <laughs> bribe uh, to people to make them read economics, yeah? <laughs> it's a bit like uh, the, the ice cream that some of your mothers might have promised to you that before she asked you to eat your uh, vegetables, yeah? But well, my bribe is uh, better because the ice cream comes first in this book. Yeah? <laughs> so you don't have to read the, the economics if you don't want to. Although, the telling from various reviews in Amazon and so on, the, the, there are some readers who have been deceived uh, by this uh, trick. Uh, the, the, <laughs> yeah, because they say things like, I bought this book thinking that it's about the, the food. Yeah? <laughs> it isn't. But yeah, I got to learn some things about economics, so I'm uh, not complaining. Yeah? So, anyway, it's a really delicious meal. So. Yeah, now it's uh, even better. It's in the paperback, so <laughs> it, uh, it's uh, more affordable. Yeah. Okay, thanks a lot, uh, By the way, uh, if you come from a country with uh, less than $10,000 per capita income, uh, please go ahead and pirate copy the book. Yeah, because I uh, grew up at, uh, reading pirate copy books, uh, so I'm not going to kick away the, the, the letter. Yeah? <laughs> okay, thank you very much. You did an excellent job of showing students how to subvert a question and to say there's no crisis. So. Okay, do we have any questions from the audience? We have lots of questions. Um, can we take these two down here? And then can we take... Uh, this, this gentleman over here in the blue. Hello, everyone. My name is Peter. I'm from Norway. I study economics and philosophy. Uh, my question is structured in two points. Uh, given a forecasted growth rate of 2% GDP growth globally, needed to some degree for governments to pay their government debt and have a sustainable employment rate, so forth, in 100 years, the world economy will be 12 times bigger. In 200 years, it will be 140 times bigger. In 300 years, 1648 times bigger, and in 400 years, 20,000 times bigger, mm. and so on. It's compatible. Point number two, we have may more, way more than enough financial and productive resources on Earth to solve our problems. However, they are concentrated in very few hands. We could, for example, give all that is needed, everyone that needs it, malaria vaccines, but this is not the profitable, profitable endeavor for capital to be allocated by those who control it. Question, given the destructive nature of economic activity and consistent economic growth, is development a problem of growth or distribution? What can be done about the fact that financial and productive resources are controlled by so very few people? Thank you. Okay, and a reminder that I just want you to ask one question <laughs> as a kind of chivalry to the rest of your classmates. Okay, let's go up here to the gentleman in the blue and then we'll come down to you. Uh, for Hajun Jang, um, what do you think of Cuba's example for, in terms of economic development and independence under Fidel Castro? 
Okay, and question down here. Um, hi, uh, I have a question about the part where you were talking. Can you uh, speak up? Uh, Hello. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> hi. Um, I have a question about the part that was about developing countries needing to make sure that they get a bigger slice when being exploited for their resources. Um, maybe it's a very simple answer or mm -hmm. very complex, I'm not sure, but it sounds very logical, like if I have the resources that you need and I need, I want a bigger percentage of the revenue, for example, that I just demand that. So when explaining that dynamic, do you blame the developing side or like the developed side that is the exploiter? Right. Excellent Thank question. You. And I will ask you guys to make eye contact with me if you want to ask a question so that the, the next round will move smoother. Okay. Uh, wait, can you, wait, wait. Can you? Yeah, we're yeah. going to take these yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so that, that don't we have already enough and uh, do we need uh, still more? Well, in theory, yes, uh, that we probably have enough to provide decent uh, standard of living uh, to, to everyone uh, on earth. But the problem is that, you know, the, in the absence of, of very powerful the global government, uh, we do not have the mechanism to the distribute this, yeah? So we have to have a kind of multi-track uh, approach, uh, you know, people talk about the growth, uh, the, I think, is uh, the, actually a misleading term uh, because uh, the, you know, we, yeah, I mean, want uh, greater well-being, yeah, and that doesn't necessarily involve growth. But that uh, I think uh, it's uh, wrong to focus on growth of uh, the material products. Yeah, so that we need to basically grow in a different way. We need to, yeah, accept that that uh, sometimes actually growth is a bad thing. Sometimes that uh, we need growth, yeah. So anyway, but that uh, overall, the, the rich countries, say that the countries with uh, more than twenty-five thousand dollar per capita income, but uh, they don't need uh, more growth. That uh, they need to redistribute that uh, and uh, uh, kind of uh, consume in a different way, yeah, and and uh, have a different notion of what is a good society, yeah. The poorest countries, uh, countries with less than six, seven thousand dollar per, per capita income, they need to grow. Yeah, they need to grow whatever the means, because uh, at that uh, level of uh, the, the income, growth is uh, literally a matter of life and death. Yeah, because that uh, you get to eat uh, when there is uh, growth, you get to eat another bowl of rice. Yeah, you that that, that can heat your house a bit more. Yeah, you can visit. Maybe not the hospital because it's uh, too expensive. Maybe that, that, that but uh, you can visit a local pharmacy once more and uh, get some uh, painkillers. Yeah, I mean you don't have to. That, 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 probably that you have uh, less chance of uh, your child dying at the age of two. Yeah, so uh, those countries need to grow. That, that what I mean according to the, the estimates of uh, the various uh, climate scientists, what these countries do in terms of uh, economic growth really doesn't uh, change the, the, the big uh, the picture of uh, climate change. Yeah? So they need to be allowed to do whatever they need to. The countries in the middle are the tricky ones, yeah? because that, uh, some of them but, uh, should uh, the combine, if you like, uh, the, for the short-hand uh, degrowth and uh, growth. Yeah? Some of them need to the, the, the completely the restructure their economies. Yeah? 
others might uh, find opportunities in the energy transition and become uh, the, the kind of uh, main source of uh, renewable energy and therefore their growth uh, the, the, the do not really make a big uh, impact on the, 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 the climate change. Uh, so I suggest that, that we need to uh, look at many different things, yeah? not just growth distribution, but different ways of consuming, you know, more collective consumption, yeah? cutting uh, the working hours uh, so that we have uh, more kind of uh, welfare coming out of uh, spending time with uh, the friends, family, and uh, community. You know, we, we need to uh, think about uh, the, the different ways of uh, living. Yeah? Cuba, well, I mean, if uh, any country can uh, produce uh, such good music, you know, <laughs> they must be doing something right. Yeah? But, uh, you know, Cuba, the, the Cuba has uh, suffered so much uh, from the U.S. sanction. Yeah? It's a bit like, uh, the, I don't know, what the China is uh, doing to Taiwan, so petty, you know. Why? Yeah? And, of course, uh, the, the biggest uh, problem for Cuba, as well as uh, North Korea, for that matter, was that uh, they had relied on the subsidized Soviet oil and when that uh, uh, suddenly disappeared, uh, everything collapsed. Yeah? So that, uh, it's uh, that difficult to uh, tell whether the, their economic trouble was you know, generated by the, the inefficiency of uh, their economic system. Yeah? Yeah, in the North Korean case, uh, it's uh, that, that, that actually more obvious that uh, this uh, kind of I mean, dynastic, yeah? I, I wouldn't call it even communist, yeah? I mean, the dynastic, uh, the, the semi-feudal, the rule by one family is uh, what uh, created all the problems. But in the case of Cuba, it's not clear whether it's the socialist system or the U.S. sanctions or the collapse of uh, the Soviet uh, the, the, the Union the, that has uh, the made uh, things difficult for it. And finally, the Slide. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think uh, that you know that there can be different views, yeah, because uh, the, especially when it comes to things like oil, you know that, that many of the oil-producing countries actually do not have the technologies to extract oil. Yeah? So the, for them, it's either you know zero income from oil or you know. 25% of whatever oil that uh, the Americans and the French can uh, extract, yeah? And then, yeah, they usually go for the second, yeah? When it comes to the solar energy, I think uh, the pictures are quite different because uh, solar energy involves uh, the much less uh, the capital investment and uh, the much uh, the, 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 the fewer technologies than oil extraction. So there, the, probably these countries uh, can bargain harder, yeah? They should bargain harder, yeah? Because that, uh, especially in the early stages of uh, the development of these industries, there's always that, uh, the issue of uh, scale economy. If you can produce uh, something on a bigger scale earlier than others, you gain such a huge advantage that uh, maybe that, uh, you know, Namibia should uh, say that uh, to the Germans that, that uh, if you want this, that uh, you need to uh, pay us a lot more. Yeah? So uh, the dynamic is a bit different. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna try to institute a policy of having at least one woman. And I'm just saying, a lot more men have been making eye contact with me than the women. So women, please make more eye contact with me. So we're gonna start with the man in the front row with the, the glasses, and then the lady with the curly hair raising her hand over there. 
Hi. Okay. I hope everybody can hear me. Thanks uh, for being here, first of all. You have been advocating for industrial, uh, let's say, state-led industrial policy based on the uh, growth seen in, in Europe, the United States, and mainly tiger economies. But actually, when we look at the African continent, and I'm talking about Zambia or, or states that try to create growth through state-led uh, industrial policy, like Zambia, Nigeria, Tanzania, this led to complete misallocation of resources in, in lots of um, sectors and often also failed diversification of the industry, so to, let's say, just heavy oil or copper industries. And I just want your perspective on this. Shouldn't we make debate of growth much more diverse rather than just focusing on ad or just advocating for industry policy? Because it, it works for some countries, but it, it, it is not a fit model fit for for, for all, thanks. And for example, Tanzania, there was actually the market deregulation then that led to like 80s, 90s to, to increased uh, growth. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm. But in, in between, we're going to hear from you. Um, <laughs> hi, my name is Valentina, and um, I want to know what do you think are going to be the consequences for the real economy of the current corporate governance strategy of maximizing shareholders' value, where uh -huh. remunerating shareholders and investing in capital markets is preferred over reinvesting in productive capa yeah. capacities and innovation? Uh -huh. Thank you. Hello, my name is Riwa and I'm from Lebanon. Uh, you talked a lot about quantitative easing and uh, the interest rates. How do you see inflation moving forward and what would be the role of central banks? Mm. Right, uh, yeah, on the first uh, question, yes, I mean, the, the, some countries have been more successful with the industrial policy than others, but that's the case with any policy, any, you know, the business model. I mean, the, some will do better than others. Yeah? So the, the, that's uh, not necessarily an argument against uh, the industrial policy. But having said that, yes, I mean, the, the, you can do it uh, better, you can do it uh, the less well. Yeah? So the, what uh, made a crucial difference uh, between the, the East Asian countries and some of the other developing countries was that uh, the East Asian countries put a lot of emphasis on export. Yeah? This is uh, crucial because uh, the, the unless, as a developing country, you need uh, to have the foreign exchanges uh, to buy machines and technologies if you want to develop your economy. Yeah? I mean, you can get yeah a bit of that uh, from foreign aid. Uh, you can uh, the, 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 you know, the get a bit of money from remittances, but uh, basically this has to come from export. And many developing countries uh, fail to build the capacity to export. Yeah? So the, they initially built uh, a set of uh, the import substitution industries, and then they soon run into trouble, A, because uh, the, they cannot import uh, the spare parts and uh, the kind of uh, the intermediate inputs uh, the, that they need uh, to keep it going, and B, more importantly, they cannot upgrade these industries because uh, they don't have the foreign exchanges uh, to buy the, 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 the technologies and machines. Yeah? So the, the, the countries that fail to do that, fail to the, the build a viable the export the, the model, have a short period of growth and then they hit the wall. Yeah? So so-called balance of uh, payment uh, constraints. Yeah? Now having s 
said that, however, you know, the, what the African countries uh, managed uh, with uh, this uh, crappy industrial policy during the 60s and 70s was much better than what they managed uh, that, uh, during the next uh, 40 years of uh, neoliberalism. Yeah? Because uh, the per capita income uh, grew in sub-Saharan Africa at uh, the rate of 1.6% uh, during the 60s and 70s. It grew at 0.3% per year for the last 40 years. Yeah? And they, which means that, that uh, at the end of this 40-year uh, period, African per capita income is at, uh, something like 7% higher than what it was in 1980. Yeah? You no, know, China used to grow that much in half a year. Yeah? So that uh, you have to uh, put uh, these things into the various perspective. But uh, the, you know, the, the most important point is that you know that, that there are good industrial policies, there are bad industrial policies. So you cannot, you know, I don't know. I mean, some people, I don't know, go to gym and uh, hurt their back because they are not doing it right. Yeah, but uh, that is not an argument against uh, going to a gym. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that, uh, it, that, uh, being bloody hard is uh, an argument against it, but yeah, not, not uh, hurting your back. Yeah? Uh, secondly, yeah, shareholder capital, I mean, this is frankly the biggest uh, disease uh, that uh, especially the Anglo-American economies that, uh, have uh, contracted. Yeah? I mean, it's that, uh, really destroying uh, capitalism. Yeah? I mean, uh, the, the, the American economist Bill Lazonic has uh, published the CIF series of uh, research uh, that show that in the last, uh, say, 25 years, the US and UK corporations have given away around 95% of their profit to shareholders in the form of uh, dividends and uh, share buybacks, which is a practice where you buy your own share so that share price goes up, which allows uh, uh, your shareholders to cash in if they want. Yeah? Some companies are actually borrowing money to do share buybacks. Yeah? So basically, the, the, the stock market has uh, turned into ATM machine. Yeah? I mean, it's not, you know, in the textbook, you learn that the stock market uh, gives uh, the money to corporations so that they can invest. Yeah? Not anymore. Yeah? I mean, the, the U.S. always had a high the, the ratio of uh, profit uh, going to shareholders, but uh, even there, uh, until like the 70s, about, only about half of the profit was uh, given away to the shareholders, and the other half retained in the company, most of which was uh, reinvested. Yeah? But now, they are retaining only 5%. Yeah? I mean, it's that the higher the, in the, the Europe, uh, about 70%. But, I mean, even in Europe, uh, the, this, uh, the, the retention rate has uh, fallen quite a lot. Yeah? And as you the, 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 the said, uh, this is uh, restricting the ability of corporations to make a productive investment, uh, which uh, we desperately need because uh, in many countries, uh, infrastructure is, uh, even in the rich ones, yeah, infrastructure is uh, getting dilapidated. I mean, this country being the ultimate example, yeah? we need that, that, that investment for energy transition, yeah? and we are not that, that getting the that, that necessary money. Yeah? 
Uh, inflation, uh, how is it going to evolve? Uh, well, if I knew that, uh, I would be a very rich man, yeah? But uh, the one thing I can tell you is that uh, this uh, phase of inflation is uh, supply-driven, yeah? It's not because there's a lot of money floating around, chasing after scarce goods, uh, as the usual expression goes. So unless you fix the supply chain problem, unless you that, uh, end the war in the Ukraine, it's not going to be solved. Yeah? So the, the, the central banks are the now you know, doing the only thing they know how to do uh, to fight inflation, which is to raise interest rate. But then this is uh, creating havoc with the asset markets, which uh, they themselves had uh, blown up uh, with uh, the quantitative easing. Yeah? So now uh, we are in a very uh, the tricky situation. I mean, some people are predicting that uh, a new financial crisis will uh, erupt next year because a lot of uh, the, the commercial real estate uh, in the United States are going to come up for renewal of their mortgage. And you know, already that, uh, some banks that, uh, earlier this year have uh, sold this uh, the, the, uh, commercial the, the, the real estate mortgages at a loss because they are worried that uh, when they all come together next year, they're going to be hit. So, yeah, I mean, that, uh, that, uh, don't <laughs> hold your breath. I mean, that uh, something that, that, uh, is going to happen, yeah? I mean, whether it's uh, the commercial real estate in the U.S. or the uh, developing country debt crisis, yeah? I mean, the uh, beauty of financial crisis is that uh, you, you think it's not going to happen until it happens, yeah? Okay, we're going to start with the gentleman down here and then the lady in the blue jumper at the front. Uh, thank you so much for your wonderful talk. Uh, I'm Mate, by the way, from Georgia. Uh, my question is, like, I want to connect, like, to link macroeconomics with the industrial policy. So I think there is no industrial policy without, well, yeah, mm -hmm. it's general truth, right? Without, there is no industrial policy without the proper macroeconomic management. Uh, but, uh, well, in 1970s, some important things happened. Like Milton Friedman made the people believe that the money is natural. So as the industrial policy is on the side of, it's under the fiscal priority. It's under the fiscal policy. So in times of current mainstream macroeconomics, which say basically that, well, and I think that's false, that um, if you spend money, there will be inflation. So inflation is something like which uh, stops us making any industrial policy, mm -hmm. in conducting any industrial policy. So I think for developing countries, it's quite, quite hard like, to uh, find a way of proper macroeconomic management which will help them to industrialize the some economic mm -hmm. sectors. So my question is, what, what do you think about MMT? Because MMT has quite different understanding of money which says that that's not natural. It has like influence on the real, real variable, sure. so, which is quite important for the industrial policy. Mm -hmm. So okay. is it something helpful for the uh, developing yeah, yeah. countries? Yeah. So, thank you. Okay. And then the, the man, other man with the jackets that I've seen. Okay. Okay. Um, hi. Uh, I'm Emily. Um, you mentioned sustainable energy could become the new oil, and you've touched on it a little bit before. Um, COP28 is going to see important talks in sustainable energy and climate finance, and it's hosted by big actors in the oil industry, so in a particular context. So we've got the foundations of um, you know, sustainable energy and climate finance happening within a certain context. 
Do you see the a risk of patterns and practices of the oil industry seeping into sustainable energy discussions, even maybe uh, you know discourse and the way we talk about it? Mm -hmm. And how would you guard against it at uh, international negotiation uh, events? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, hello, my name is Enzo. I am a development studies um, student, and as such, I've been reading a lot of your work recently. And I've come across this recurrent theme of the importance of industrial policy and industrialization for development. And I wanted to ask, is it possible for every country to develop? Or do we instead live in a zero-sum world where some countries are able to develop, and other ones are always restricted to being exporters of primary goods? And this would be the reason why mm -hmm. countries that have industrialized and developed are so eager to kick yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah, first uh, on the macroeconomic uh, front, uh, yeah, let's uh, start with the observation that industrial policy doesn't necessarily need money. Yeah? I mean, there's, there are a lot of industrial policies that uh, can be done, have been done through coordination, the better coordination, better dialogue, you know, the, the provision of a little, little bit of uh, the, the financial the support for, you know, the cooperative arrangements, yeah, whether it's agricultural cooperatives or the, the industry associations. So actually, that, that it's a myth that, 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 that industrial policy needs money. Yeah? I mean, that, yeah, some of it does, yeah, but uh, not all of it does. Yeah? This is why in the 80s, when there was uh, the, the first uh, phase of uh, the modern debate on industrial policy, a lot of uh, the, the, the anti-industrial policy people said that Actually, Japan doesn't have much industrial policy because uh, the, 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 if you look at their the fiscal figures, industrial subsidy as a the proportion of GDP is uh, below the OECD average. Yeah? Of course, uh, the, this is the typical problem about the, the people that are looking at uh, only available data without knowing anything about the country. Yeah? Because there were a lot of uh, the other industrial policies about the corporate restructuring, you know, coordination of technological development, you know, the joint research, you know, the, you name it, yeah? Now, having said that, yes, uh, you need some money, but, the, 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 you know, the, the macro policies can actually, the, the, if you don't do it the, the well, the anti-inflationary macro policies uh, can hurt the industrial policy, yeah? So the, you don't want the, you know, hyperinflationary situation, so you need to control that, but the, you can go to the other extreme. Yeah? The best examples are Brazil and South the, the Africa in the last the, the, the 25 years. Yeah? They had literally the highest real interest rate policy in the world, yeah? like 10, 12 real. Yeah? And in those countries, capitalists basically have all become finance uh, capitalists. Yeah? Because who wants to make productive investment, have problem with the, the striking workers and dispute with suppliers and you know, uh, the, the problem at the customs when you could buy government bond and have 11% return guaranteed. Yeah? So these uh, the macroeconomic policies have killed those countries. Yeah? So you need to uh, get it right. Yeah? Finally, the, the, the final component, the modern monetary theory, I think it the, the, the works in the US when you basically can print your money, but I don't think it's relevant for developing countries. Yeah? 
because they are, they are very hard that the microeconomic constraints. Yeah? Uh, the next one was, oh yeah, the, the, is oil seeping into sustainable energy? I very much suspect so, yeah? Uh, but, you know, the, the only when we know that, uh, sorry, only when we are aware that, that, that this, uh, if we are not careful, would be a problem for the renewable energy sector, we can fight it, yeah? As I said earlier, I think there's a bit more room to uh, the, for bargaining for the developing countries because we are not talking about drilling oil down the, from about two kilometers below the seabed. Yeah? We are talking about the solar farms. Yeah? We are talking about the, 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 the less uh, capital intensive technologies. Yeah? So the, let's hope that, that, that we that, that get uh, somewhere there. And finally, is uh, industrial policy zero-sum game? Um, I don't think so, uh, because uh, the, the, if you all, yeah, I mean, let's face it, I mean, some countries will always do better than others, yeah, I mean, that's uh, by definition, but, you know, you can't, uh, the, 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 if uh, the other countries are successful, you have a bigger market, yeah? I mean, this uh, reminds me of this uh, the famous article that uh, published in 1982, which was for a while very popular uh, by this uh, American uh, trade economist, uh, William Klein, who argue that the so-called, it's a misnomer in my view, but the so-called export-led growth model of the four little tigers in East Asia, South Korea, uh, Taiwan, uh, Hong Kong, Singapore is not replicable because uh, the, the OECD market has uh, already been saturated. Yeah? I mean, this article has been comprehensively disproved by China. Yeah? I mean, the country that is kind of uh, that, that 15 times bigger than yeah, all of these countries that are put together, yeah, has found market, yeah, has uh, lifted uh, a lot of uh, people out of poverty. Yeah? So it's not a zero-sum game. I mean, if there's any worry about uh, industrial policy being uh, too successful, it's the planetary boundary. It's not yeah, the market. Yeah? Okay, so I'm, I am trying to go in order, but adding, having at least one woman in each one, so we have some gender representation. And the lady here with the blonde hair, oh, Well, this time you should have uh, two women. Two women, yeah. okay, let's have these two women right there then. By request from Hachun. Um, so just uh, returning a little bit f uh, to the financial crisis, which is perhaps not strictly related to development, um, I was wondering like, what your takes are on what should be done then, or what should have been done to resolve the 2008 crisis, besides potentially putting the entire financial class into jail. But um, that's another mm. discussion. Um, yeah, I was wondering uh, when we're talking about like macroeconomic Can constraints. Can you speak up a bit? Sorry, when we're talking about uh, macroeconomic constraints yeah. and so on, recently um, a lot of people have been talking about uh, a move to the Wall Street consensus instead of the post-Washington consensus. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Kind of the use of um, market-based finance yeah, to, yeah. Um, through the uh, kind of construction of development classes. And I was wondering, some people say that that's, this might be a good thing in terms of industrial policy because it gives um, developing countries a little bit more leeway, whereas others are um, saying that it's more so kind of construction for construction's sake without mm -hmm. actually having a good um, logic yeah, behind yeah, it. Yeah. So I was wondering what your opinions were. Okay, and the gentleman up here, and Deepa, could you come round to the gentleman with the green hair? Yeah. 
And we'll take four this round. And I, I can see. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I had a very short question. Uh, recently, India has started trading in rupee with its uh, neighboring countries. And the last uh, meeting of the BRICS, a lot has been uh, said about the domination of the dollar in international trade. Uh, what's your take on this? And do you think that the potential election of Donald Trump next year might affect uh, the outcome of the dollar domination? Thank you. My question is, um, the problem with speaking truth to power is that it leaves you with truth and them with power, uh, given the fact that a lot of heterodox economists like you have written a lot of smart and good things about the global political economy. Um, why, do you why do we still get austerity as a response to global financial crisis? Mm -hmm. And um, how can we as a younger generation affect uh, future maybe towards some, well, not smart ideas, but at least can we re regain power and democratize economics, uh, not only by writing smart books like Edible Economics with chapters named like Banana and Coca-Cola, but what should we do as a young generation because we yeah, cannot yeah, write books yeah, yeah. yet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great questions. Uh, yeah, basically the, the, in terms of uh, the resolution of the financial crisis, I mean, the, you needed a comprehensive uh, reform of the global financial system. Yeah? I mean, none of it was done. Yeah, And, you know, the, I could uh, list uh, many, many things, but uh, the, just uh, the, taking one example from earlier question about the shareholder capitalism, you know, the why is that the shareholder capitalism so powerful? It's because that's, uh, so many things uh, have been, the, sorry, so many financial the, the segments of financial markets have been liberalized. So many new countries have been the opening their financial markets, and so many new products have been the, created. Shareholders have so many options. So the companies feel that they have to be nice to them. Yeah? So if you want to change that, you need to uh, close down many of these avenues. Yeah? You could have uh, the, 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 the banned uh, some uh, the kind of, uh, well, legal but egregious uh, practices like uh, naked short selling, yeah? which means that you are actually short selling some shares that you don't even own. Yeah? I mean, it's that, that, that crazy. Yeah? I mean, the, the, there were the, so many things uh, that you could have done, but the, the very few of those were done. And what the few things uh, that have been done were the, the rolled back by Donald Trump. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the, the, I'm not saying that the, 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 you know it was easy to do, but the, the, you know, unless uh, you did uh, at least some of those things, uh, the, it would have been. Resolved, yeah, the, the so-called Wall Street consensus, you know, they talk about the so-called de-risking investment. Yeah, this is uh, the, the private sector basically, you know, wanting to have their cake and eat it, yeah? No, because they don't want downside risk, yeah? They only want upside risk, yeah? And I'm not saying that actually that in itself is unjustified, yeah? Because sometimes you have to do that, yeah? I mean, that. that Capitalism has uh, developed in the way it uh, has because uh, you have actually de-risked uh, a lot of uh, investment. Yeah? You know, for example, in the 19th century, I mean, the, the, no country, well, the, the, until the mid-19th century, no country had generalized limited liability. Yeah? 
limited liability was a privilege that you would get for nationally important ventures uh, from the crown or the government. Yeah? So actually being an entrepreneur is uh, very risky. Yeah? You the, the, the run business, something goes wrong, they come and take your pots and pans. Yeah? They put you in the prison, debtor's prison. Yeah? I mean, in that kind of environment, it was actually a miracle that a lot of uh, people invested. Yeah? So the, you de-risk the, the enterprise uh, by giving uh, the uh, people, the, the, sorry, companies uh, limited liability, provided that they meet uh, some minimum condition. Yeah? I mean, there was no bankruptcy law. Yeah? I mean, the, the, so you introduce bankruptcy law to protect uh, the, the uh, debtors uh, the, the, from uh, creditors at least while they restructure the, the enterprise and the debt. Yeah? So I'm not actually against uh, de-risking itself, but uh, this time around, I think uh, they're asking for too much. Yeah? They basically uh, the want zero risk. Yeah? I mean, if uh, the, 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 everything that you do is uh, underwritten by the government, uh, the, you know, <laughs> who wouldn't uh, the, be a rich person? Yeah? So I think uh, we need to the, the, the calibrate this uh, very well. Yes, I mean, there uh, would be some need for you know, the government uh, the underwriting uh, certain ventures and, you know, uh, giving some subsidies and backing it up, but that uh, in return, uh, well, A, the, the limits have to be set clearly, yeah, according to some uh, general plan, and B, there should be conditionalities, yeah? Yeah, at least uh, the Biden government uh, has uh, well, I mean, it's minimal, minimal, minimal the conditionality, but uh, they stipulated that if you are getting government subsidy that, that, uh, from, uh, the, for, from uh, the, what's it called, the Inflation Reduction Act, while you are getting the subsidy, you cannot do share buybacks. Yeah? <laughs> That's like the least that uh, you can do, yeah? because that, that uh, there was obvious danger that uh, you give subsidy to these companies and instead of uh, using the money to invest, uh, they would you know, give it to the shareholders. Yeah? So you need uh, those conditionalities. Yeah? Uh, Indian rupee the dollar domination, yeah, the, the sad thing is that the, the, the US dollar domination the, is backed up not just by the economic power but the military power. Yeah? So it's been so difficult to dislodge it uh, despite the launch of the euro, the expansion of uh, renminbi. So I think it's uh, going to take a while. Having said that, you know, that these things uh, never last forever. You know, pound used to be you know, four or five times uh, the, the, the more valuable than dollar and was uh, the undisputed world currency, but it's uh, the, not anymore. So the, 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 but it will come in a long historical arc. Uh, it's not going to happen because, uh, the, I don't know, six uh, Latin American countries uh, start trading in the Brazilian real and India uh, trades with uh, Pakistan. Yeah? I mean, the sad uh, truth is that these economies are not uh, significant enough. Yeah? Uh, that's oh, yeah, how, the how do dominant, you... The dominant currency of reserve has always been with the dominant military power. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah what do we do to democratize uh, economics? Yeah, it's not 
enough uh, to just uh, study the, the different economics. Yeah? You have to practice it in your life. Yeah? And actually, the, the, the already there are a lot of people doing that. I mean, this uh, new generation of uh, economists that, uh, who emerged after the uh, global financial crisis, that, uh, organized around the uh, rethinking economics movement, uh, internationally, this uh, the, the, the network of uh, the, the pluralist uh, economists, you know, these people have, you know, that, uh, done things uh, to democratize uh, economics that, uh, in real life. Uh, so some of them have gone on to set up organizations that do popular edu uh, economics education. Yeah? Uh, some people have uh, the, the continued with organizations uh, calling for the reform of economics curriculum. Yeah? So not a student movement anymore, but uh, the real organizations with uh, resources and yeah. I mean that the people have uh, gone on to the work in the Bank of England, the European Central Bank, yeah? government economic services, and uh, the try to spread uh, different economic ideas in those uh, organizations. Even if you are not uh, working in those positions, uh, you can always uh, the, the try to bring in a bit of yeah, the, the more sense uh, the, into what uh, you are doing by you know, persuading your colleagues uh, that the, this is a predatory the, the, the practice, you know, that we need to look at the bigger picture. And yeah, so I think you know, because there's a limit to what you can do with revolutions. Yeah? Yeah, you can go on the street uh, for the two years, yeah, but it cannot last forever. That kind of uh, situation, yeah. So you have to build it uh, into your everyday life, yeah. Whether it's uh, a matter of uh, I don't know, talking to your friends and uh, relatives, or the trying to the, the do your job a bit differently, yeah, trying to the, the participate in this uh, the campaign organizations, yeah. I mean, it depends on who you are, what you want, uh, where you are working, but uh, uh, you know, unless you make it a uh, part of your everyday life, uh, uh, this uh, kind of campaign zeal uh, cannot last forever. Yeah? But so, Vladimir, Vladimir is saying you still get austerity policies that are being prescribed. To yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, that part uh, I think is uh, the, the very simple to explain. The, the, you know, the, these things are done because it uh, the benefits uh, people with uh, money and power. Yeah? Yeah, as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing is that uh, you know, it's not because these people are stupid that uh, they are doing austerity policy. Yeah, they are doing it because it benefits them, benefits their friends. Yeah, benefits uh, their families. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> not not because uh, these people are so stupid that uh, they cannot understand. Yeah, uh, Keynes. Yeah, that uh, is that uh, not because uh, they are so stupid that uh, they don't know that uh, that uh, you know that cutting the, the, the welfare budgets and so on that drive people into desperation. Yeah? They know it, yeah? but they will still do it because it benefits them and they think they can deal with the consequences yeah? in some way, yeah? whether it's through populist deception or the, the kind of outright repression. You know, they are doing it because that they, they think uh, these benefit them and they can get away with it. Yeah? 
Okay, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm a bouncer in the best nightclub in London, and I'm doing my best, guys, but I'm just going in order. Um, so let's have the gentleman here. Thank you. Uh, my name is Anas. I'm from Jordan. Uh, it's working. Okay. It doesn't sound like it's on. No. Is it working? Deeper. My name is Anas. I'm from Jordan. Uh, my question is rather simple, but uh, how do developing countries uh, catch up or use the bargaining chips that they can have uh, from natural resources when the ladder has already been kicked away, uh, when they don't have the methods to actually mm -hmm. catch up? Thanks. Okay, thank you. Hi, uh, thank you for coming, first of all. Um, my question is, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. that's better. Hi. <laughs> um, my question was about inequality. And okay. Um, we can see that even like the, for example, in Africa, the richest countries, the one that became richest and the one that we're all studying, for example, Botswana, for example, South Africa, they have the highest inequalities. So mm -hmm. what do you think, to what extent do you think that inequality is something that is necessary? To what extent do you need that we will always need someone that is losing in order to gain something and economically and yeah. with regards to growth. Thank and, you. And the man with the turquoise t-shirt and then the man with the green shirt up here. Okay. So like a bouncer, you are uh, picking people with the best dresses, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that to be uh, believed by the audience. There are some very sharp dresses who are on my list. <laughs> Um, so my question has been partially answered. You have to really talk into the mic. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. yeah better. Um, so this related to a comment you made very early in the talk about the unique lack of repercussions in the financial sector mm -hmm. for unethical behavior, for malpractice. Um, and my question is, if the regulators continue to remain lax on these individual decisions, do you think that will contribute to the next financial crisis? Yeah. Or is it more of a systemic issue? Mm -hmm. And the man with the green shirt upstairs. Hi. Um, my family's from Cuba. I can tell you that categorically they're not doing things very well apart from music and, and food. <laughs> uh, my question is about decision making. Um, both, it seems like we are facing very complex, difficult problems, but the decisions are being made by systems that are perhaps a little bit antiquated, perhaps, mm. um, both on the political and electoral level, but also on the information system uh, level. Like, uh, how do we, they're excluding a lot of people uh, from information, academia, media, mm. that kind of thing. So I'm just, um, the question is about kind of the future of those systems, how can we improve them? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'll uh, try to be quick uh, so that we can have uh, <laughs> more yeah, questions. Yeah, has uh, ladder not uh, already been kicked away? Uh, no, I don't think so. That, uh, for example, you know, I uh, often joke that uh, the WTO has uh, become the best uh, friend of uh, lazy government officials in developing countries because uh, when your minister wants you to do something, all you have to say is that uh, our minister is uh, banned by the WTO. Yeah? Because the guy is not going to run to the library, go through 100 and, uh, 850 pages of uh, the WTO agreement and say, no, actually it can be done. Yeah? 
Actually, they, I mean, the, the, the report uh, that Laura mentioned, uh, the, the one I did for UN uh, Economic Commission for Africa, it actually the, in detail explains what are the available policy space. Yeah? Uh, of course, uh, it's uh, more reduced than before. I mean, that's uh, that, uh, true, but you know, it's not as if uh, you can not do anything. And, yeah, also that uh, you know that uh, developing countries are not doing as much as that, uh, what is allowed under WTO. Yeah? I mean, for example, that uh, a lot of countries can have very high tariffs. Yeah, even countries that, that, that have uh, committed to kind of put putting uh, ceilings on the tariffs. That uh, this is known as uh, bind, binding. They have uh, bound the tariffs at uh, 20, 25, 30 percent. Yeah, when the actual average industrial tariff applied by developed countries barely 10 percent yeah so they are not even using uh, the full allowance yeah so yes uh, that, that we can uh, still do things uh, inequality well I mean the inequality is of course uh, not necessary yeah I mean uh, nothing is necessary yeah I mean thinking that something is necessary is actually the the the, the biggest step that that uh, you can uh, take uh, towards uh, defeat yeah because that that, that, that once uh, you think something is natural necessary yeah there is an alternative then uh, you've already uh, lost the debate yeah so the inequalities are of course not necessary you know the the european countries uh, grew at the uh, unprecedented uh, rates uh, that, uh, during the so called golden age of capitalism despite having uh, income uh, inequality that uh, i mean would uh, shock you that, uh, that today yeah? i mean gini coefficients in this country was like 0.24 you know it was uh, 0.22 in norway you know in the 60s yeah i mean that uh, unbeknownst to most people that, that even the united states uh, had uh, two communist uh, presidents uh, that uh, known as uh, Harry Truman and uh, Dwight Eisenhower <laughs> under whom the top income tax rate was 92%. Yeah? It's not necessary. I mean, the, 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 yeah, I mean, of course, uh, the, you cannot go to the extreme like uh, Maoist uh, China or Khmer Rouge. I mean, that will be a disaster. But that, you know, uh, very, very low level of but uh, inequality is uh, compatible with a uh, very dynamic economy huh? uh, yeah I mean that, that, that financial malfeasance uh, that you know that these bad behaviors uh, of course uh, need to be rooted out but yeah the system is more systemic I mean it's uh, the, like uh, the, you know, not just uh, because some people broke the law I mean those laws themselves are the problems yeah I mean, the allowing you know things like uh, naked show selling, yeah? allowing uh, the, the, the products uh, to be sold uh, the, the, when they were really rubbish, uh, repackaged as uh, gold dust. Yeah, so the, that's the, 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 the bigger problem. Uh, decision making system is outdated. Yes, I mean, the, the, I think uh, we have uh, a great challenge, especially in the age of uh, information manipulation, but. I think uh, the, the, there are also the many things that you can do to the, the, the promote the democracy which are not being done the, despite the being relatively simple to implement. Yeah? I mean, the, the, like uh, electronic uh, voting, you know, the, you know, Brazil can, I mean, not that uh, that uh, uh, prevented the, 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 the 
emergence of uh, Bolsonaro, but uh, you know, the, the, they vote for seven different uh, posts that are on the same day, yeah? from president to the governor to the, the, the local district councillors, all electronically. Yeah? I mean, that makes uh, voting a lot easier. Yeah? Why aren't other countries doing it? I mean, the, the US was you know, having a civil war on hanging chairs, you know, this uh, little the, the bits of paper that are sticking out from uh, the, you know, the, it's there only because uh, they don't want the, the people to the, the vote and the, the, they want the, some room for the manipulation of the, the vote the counting and, you know, so there are actually a lot of things uh, that uh, you can do to, you know, I mean, the, the make uh, uh, politics that are better, you know, that I, I heard that uh, in Belgium, the, the limit uh, to political donation is something like 350 euros. Yeah, in the U.S., uh, you can donate like literally the, 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 the millions of dollars. Yeah, so that is uh, the, the, the making a difference. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm just going to take very very short questions, starting with the the gentleman who has the microphone, and then going upstairs, and then the lady in the red. And I'm really sorry to everybody else. Please don't chase me up. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> Professor Chung. Uh, thank you so much for talking yep. to us. My question is very short. Um, you had previously compared, uh, you know, mainstream economics to uh, the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages has become like the language of the rulers. Uh, do you think a, pro a similar problem is happening in development where the language of development and what development is is being consolidated and controlled by, you know, UN Development Goals, SDGs, and whatever that could be in the future? Thank you. Hi. Um, I just want to ask a really quick question. Basically, we were um, criticizing the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis. I just I wanted to know what was the one fundamental structural change in the global economy, especially of those of the developed, developed countries, actually, that you wanted to see that's not being carried out and you think that's causing further crisis? And the lady down. Professor Chang, um, you said that there is an economic dimension in every decision. What do you think about the political dimension of decision? Is corruption and what it entails a way of self-kicking the ladder, the mm -hmm. development ladder, and how so? In developing countries, does this could like hinder people's incentive, incentive to develop in a personal and in a collective way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think that's it. Okay, fine. yeah. And fine. you can ask, fine. you can chase Ha Chun Chang instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, aren't we having this uh, drink? We're somewhere? gonna have yeah. drink, <laughs> so you can. Yeah, you so can you can ask me then, yeah. Okay, the, the, yeah, I mean, the, whether it's uh, economics, the, the development, you know, the terms of debate, the, the concepts, what counts as uh, the acceptable the scientific practice, these are all influenced uh, by the power structure. Yeah? So, you know, huge range of things, you know, the indigenous knowledge is uh, that, that uh, looked down upon because it uh, doesn't use the language of uh, Western science, you know, the, the, if you the, the, do not uh, buy into this uh, the individualistic uh, the philosophy, you are the dismissed as uh, the social scientist, yeah? So where do you stop, yeah? And, uh, the, you know, I mean, 
even the, the, if you ignore those uh, the more fundamental things, I mean, what is uh, the topic of debate is uh, the basically determined by people who have uh, greater financial resources and uh, the, you know the, the influence on media. Yeah, so you know the. the a lot of uh, the problems, the huge problems in developing countries are just uh, brushed over and they get you know, worried about uh, some matter that, uh, that is very local to rich countries. Yeah? So yes, I mean, that, uh, we have to keep uh, fighting it. I mean, the, the, the yeah, uh, grander way of uh, talking about this is uh, decolonizing development, but you know, we don't need to uh, take the, the, the discourse uh, to that level, just to see that you know, what is debated, what is accepted, and so on, is that, uh, hugely influenced by the global power structure. Yeah, uh, yeah I think uh, there's no one thing that, that, that will uh, fix the global financial system. But basically, you know, the, the problem is that the, the financial industry has uh, become too powerful. Yeah? And it has uh, basically the, the, the become a beast of its own. Yeah? I mean, the, uh, the example of uh, British uh, stock market during the pandemic clearly shows now this is uh, the, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't uh, the go as far as uh, calling it a casino, but uh, it's that uh, thing that uh, works on its own. Yeah? I mean, uh, it's uh, got nothing to do with the real economy. Yeah? And uh, that needs to be the, 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 the checked, yeah? I mean, the, 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 you need to shut down a lot of uh, the, the, uh, segments of uh, financial industry. You need to the, the, the impose a greater kind of uh, requirements for the, the, the scrutiny and uh, reporting. You need to the punish the, the, the people harder for yeah? uh, malpractice, you know, I mean, these uh, the financial institutions make so much money that, uh, you know, I mean, that some years ago, that, 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 that it was some Swiss bank or something, I mean, got a huge fine in the, the, the U.S. Uh, the, by the SEC. Yeah? Turns out that uh, it was, I mean, big money, like uh, the, the 787 million or the something. Yeah? But turns out that this was just uh, the, the three days profit or something. Yeah? 